God's grace in a degenerate world comes from Genesis 6, 1 through 18, starting in verse 1. It says, And it came to pass, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, but the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men, which were of old, men of renown. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and the creeping king, and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made, have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. And Noah walked with God. And Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth was also corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Room shalt thou make in the ark, and shalt pitch it within and without with pitch. And this is the fashion which thou shalt make it of. The length of the ark shall be three hundred cubits, the breadth of it fifty cubits, and the height of it thirty cubits. A window shalt thou make to the ark, and in a cubit shalt thou finish it above. And the door of the ark shalt thou set to the side thereof, with lower, second, and third stories shalt thou make it. And behold, I, even I, do bring a flood of waters upon the earth, to destroy all flesh, Wherein is the breath, wherein is the breath of life from under heaven, and everything that is in the earth shall die. But with thee will I establish my covenant, and thou shalt come into the ark, thou and thy sons and thy wife and thy sons' wives with thee. Thank you, Jonathan. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for another beautiful day. We thank you for the rain, Lord. You are the author of all life and all goodness. And Lord, we do thank you for your precious word that we can open it up today and study it and look at it. Also, Lord, I'd ask that you'd bless the senior saints here today. Um, some of them might have some physical ailments or um, just some things in their life that they want to find peace with you about. And Lord, I'd also ask that you'd protect my family. And Jesus, thank you for going to the cross. Thank you for being our Savior and that we would honor and worship you today in all that we do. We love you, God. Thank you for your Holy Spirit being with us today. Amen. So last week, if you remember, um, we looked at a Bible lesson about Cain and Abel. And continuing in that series, the um, assignment that the Bible teachers at our church had this week is another very interesting topic. It's Genesis 6 and 7. And we're, we're not going to get a, ch a chance to go into 7. We're going to look at primarily chapter 6 today. But it deals with Noah's flood. The, the flood at the time of Noah. And that was really a major, major event in the history of the world. I think catastrophes, we live with them, but they're very localized. There might be a tornado. Um, there might be a hurricane. There might be an earthquake. But this was on a global scale. It completely encompassed the entire earth. And that's almost difficult for us to grasp, to get our arms around. Um, in listening to some of the, the pastors who have spoken on this topic over the week, it's been pointed out that if you look at the earliest societies in history, in their records, in over 65 different countries, they have a story that deals with a flood. In over 200 people groups, they have a story in their past generations that deal with a flood. When we look at the geographic history, the geographic record, there are many things that point out that there was a catastrophe on the earth at that time and that there was a flood. For example, hippopotamus evidences of their bones and tops of mountains. That just doesn't work in our normal frame of reference. But God gives us many, many, many details if we're willing to look at it. And today we're going to explore a little bit about the flood. 
and the world at the time of, of Noah. Um, this message is titled, God's Grace in a Degenerate World. God's Grace in a Degenerate World. And we today are living in a very wicked and degenerate world. There's two points. The first point is Noah was a good man living in this time of total wickedness and depravity. When God looked upon the earth, he found everybody vile except for Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their wives, a total of eight people. And the second point, if we get time to look at it, is God's purpose for the flood was not extermination of mankind, but regeneration. And really, that's a picture, the flood is a picture of God. I mean, excuse me, the, the, the ark is a picture of God. When it was time for Noah to go in, God said, come into the ark. He didn't say go into the ark. He was already in there. He said, Noah, come into the ark. And that the Holy Spirit is bidding for us always, come in, come into your rest. I am your rest. If you want to go to heaven, come to me. I am the way to heaven. I will give you rest. And that's, that's just a beautiful picture. And all the torment, all the turmoil, all of the activities that were going on during that flood for that long period of many days, Noah was safe in that ark, and it just rode above the storms of life. And that's really what God will do with us. Do we want to come to him today? Do we want to cast our burdens upon him? Because he wants to be the ark for us. He wants to be the safety for us. Um, in, in continuing the study with my son Christian, John Owen, I've got, when I was reading some of that chapter 13 this week and went, wow, this fits this message so, so good. Owen points out in Overcoming Sin and Temptation, God has two ways of affecting the power or the will of the sinner. Two primary ways. So if I'm a sinner, and we're all sinners, right? God has a way, two primary ways that he deals with it. Number one is by his providence, he obstructs the power of sin. By his providence, he obstructs the power of sin. So, for example, I gave this example to the kids today in school, but let's say I wanted to go rob the bank, right? And the bank opens at 9 o'clock on Monday morning, so at 8.45, I get in my car, and I'm ready to drive to the bank to rob it. But when I turn the ignition, my car doesn't start. God decided that my battery of my car would be dead, so I couldn't go rob the bank. That's an example of God, by his providence, obstructing the power of sinning. Well, in this story of Noah and the flood, he obstructs the power of all of these evil, evil people on the earth to sin by killing them. They could no longer sin. So that's one way God can obstruct our sin in our life. Okay? The second way is by his grace, whereby he diverts, I'm reading from John Owen, whereby he diverts or changes the will of sinning. You know, God can save us through his grace. That's, in fact, that's the only way we can be saved is through God's grace. For by grace are we saved through faith. And that seed that of, of faith comes from his grace. So the second way God changes the evil activities in our life is through his grace. The more we love the Lord, the more God becomes paramount in our life, the more God becomes number one in our life, the smaller the desires of the sins become. It's almost like ice melting on a pavement on a hot day. We're looking to God and we forget about the desires of those sins. And they just kind of melt away. But when we take our eye off the Lord, that's when that opportunity for sin comes back into our life. So looking at that second point, by his grace, he diverts or changes the will of sinning. And only God can do that. If we try to keep away or fight sin or overcome sin in our own physical strengths, we will fail every time. We might be able to do it for a certain amount of time, but in the course of time, we will fail always. Only through God can we overcome sin through his grace. All right, let's look at, at Noah now. Genesis 6, 1. And it came to pass, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, 
So here we see men began to multiply. And in Genesis, God actually gave that command. In 128, he said, and God blessed them. This is Adam and Eve. And God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fall of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. So this was God's plan. And this is in the chapter one of Genesis. This is before the fall of man. This is before sin. This is when God looked upon his creation and said, it is good. And at that point, God had a plan for man. Man was to go out, multiply, have children, and have dominion over everything under the earth. In the earth, the water, the, 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 the uh, fish, this, all the animals, and the, and the fowl of the air. Now, we know the story, Adam and Eve sinned. So in this, we're now in chapter 6 of Genesis, and the world has become very, very wicked. Look at Genesis 6, 2 says that the sons of God saw the daughters of men and that they were fair, they were beautiful, and they took them wives of all which they chose. Now, in listening to the messages this week in preparation for this, for today, it became very apparent that there are two camps that discuss this term, sons of God, okay? On one camp, and this, our pastors, our church would be in this camp, our pastor preached on this about two years ago. This camp believes the sons of God are the line of Seth, and in our mind would be the Christians, okay, of that day. And the sons of man would be the wicked people. There's a very strong group over here that hold the sons of God are spirits. They're angels. Because in Job, the sons of God came to present what they had done. And Satan came with them. Okay? So you have one group here that say the sons of God are human beings like us. And this other camp over here says these sons of God are demons. Fallen angels. Now, it's interesting, the church history, up until about 500 A.D., they were in this camp over here. The sons of God were fallen demons. Very interesting. I would leave that up to you again as Bereans to study the Bible. Okay? But I was very impressed by the presentations of three different pastors who I follow them on sermon audio. I've listened to hundreds of their messages over the years, and they were in the camp of the early church that these are fallen angels. Now what's interesting, Jesus, when he quoted from the Old Testament, the Old Testament for giants, the word for in Hebrew is nephil. And from that word we get nephilim. So when Jesus read his Bible, he was reading nephil, that these were a combination of the demons making, impregnating the women. Now, the, the people in this camp would say, well, angels can't have sex because you're neither married nor given in marriage. But that doesn't define the actual activity. That just says you're not married in heaven. And remember, the Holy Spirit came over Mary, and what happened? She had a baby. So there are, <laughs> I mean, this is such an interesting topic. You can, and, and in the New Testament, Peter speaks about it. And what are the demons that are in the abyss that are locked up? A lot of the theologians over here believe that those are the ones who got in big trouble before the flood. But let's move on. Malachi 2.1, um, 2.11 says, Judah had dealt treacherously, and an abomination is committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. All Ju Judah have profaned the holiness of the Lord, which he loved, and hath married the daughter of a strange God. So let's for, put aside the sons of God being humans or, or demons, okay? This is a picture of spiritual blasphemy. It's Judah. Judah is one of the 12 tribes. They dealt treacherously and committed in Israel, in Jerusalem, in the capital, where the temple was. They profaned the holiness of the Lord and had married the daughters of a strange god. In other words, they were no longer worshiping Jehovah. They were worshiping some man-made idol. 
And there's always demonic activity behind all of these idols. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion has light with darkness? Now this is a, this is a passage we quote to our kids as they're growing up. Don't be unequally yoked when you get married. If you're a Christian, God says don't marry somebody who's not a Christian. Go out and find a Christian. And, and when, first off, I, don't, I didn't let my kids, and I'm not going to let Josiah and Justice date in high school. That's just putting your way of temptation. You're not ready. When you're ready to court and get married, that's the time to go find somebody. But if you just date, you're putting yourself into temptation. And when you do go court somebody, you cannot court somebody who's not a Christian if you're a Christian. Don't be unequally yoked. That's what that, that's what that verse is teaching. But it also extends beyond that. It's in our relationships. Our best friend should not be somebody who's not a Christian. Don't be unequally yoked. Genesis 6.3, And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that is also, for that he also is flesh, that his days shall be an hundred and twenty years. This is another interesting point. If you look at Genesis 2.17, it says, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of, for in the day that thou eatest thou, thou shalt surely die. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. So God says if you eat of the tree, in that day you're going to die. Now Adam and Eve didn't die that physically that day. Spiritually they died, but they didn't die physically. Adam lived to be over 900 years. But if you look at 2 Peter 3.8 it says... Be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day with the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. So for God, one day is a thousand years. They died in that day. Okay? So the people, Methuselah lived to be 969. Noah lived to be 950. Many of these people lived hundreds of years. But at this time, God changed it, apparently, and theologians think that at this point he changed it to 120. Now, Abraham lived beyond that. Sarah, I think, was 110. Um, there were many people that were listed that still lived beyond 120, but on average. Now, today, if you look at the obituaries in the paper, it's on average is three score and ten. Psalm 90.10 says the days of our years are three score and ten. And if by reason strength they be four score, yet is their strength labor and sorrow for it is soon cut off and we fly away. So initially, less than 1,000. Then it apparently down to 120. And Psalms was written when King David was 1,000 years before Christ, 3,000 years ago. That's kind of like a, a, a minor point, but the, probably the biggest thing you grab out of that is Noel was a preacher of righteousness. It was 120 years from that point until God closed the door on the ark and the rain started a week later. 120 years. God, it says, my spirit will not always strive with man. But he still gave them 120 years to repent. That's a long time from our perspective. Genesis 6-4. Back to this sons of God thing. There were giants in the earth in those days. And also after that, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, and the same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. That, again, this is a very interesting topic. After the flood, there were giants. Deuteronomy 3.11 says, For only Og, king of Bashan, remained of the remnants of the giants. Behold, his bedstead was a bedstead of iron. Is it not in Rabbath? Of the children of Ammon. Nine cubits was the length, four cubits the breadth after the cubit of a man. You know how big a cubit was? 18 inches, a half of a meter. So if his bed was nine cubits, that's 13 and a half feet long. And it was four cubits, six feet wide. That's a big bed. And if you look at some of the um, skeletons that they've dug up, there were men much bigger than that. And when you think about one of the, one of the pastors over here in this camp, you know, the, the sons of God thing, 
He raised the issue of where did the pyramids come from? Even today, in 2016, we can't figure out how to make that mar the the, the, um, the um, heavy stones to make the pyramid. How is that possible? And yet they did that. And there are many things that were pointed out in these messages where man himself really couldn't do that. Now let's look at the next um, giant verse in 1 Samuel. This is Goliath. And there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. A cubit, again, being 18 inches. Six of those is nine feet, and a span is a half a cubit, nine inches. So Goliath was nine feet and nine inches. That's that much less than a basketball hoop. That's a tall man. Genesis 6, 5. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. You know, we got into this discussion with the kids this morning. What happened to the babies? The, the little one-year-old and the two-year-old and the three-year-olds? When the flood came, they died. They died. Well, why would God, why would God kill them? They weren't righteous. The righteous were in the ark. That's a very interesting thing to think about. Look what he says here. The thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. You know, if you look at a line that goes into infinity, it, it starts and it just keeps going. It never stops. That's a continuous line that goes into continuity. God said their evil was continuous continuity. That's what he's saying here was only evil continually. So he knew those babies would grow up and be blasphemers. Now back to my example of, the, of robbing the bank. Let's say I was going to do it with five other bad guys, and the FBI was listening to my phone conversations, and they found out that we had a conspiracy, and they arrested me. I went to the judge, and the judge gave me one year. Okay? And the judge says, you're you're lucky, you, you're fortunate you didn't commit the crime. Because if you would have committed the crime, I would have gave you 10 years. All right? Now put that in a spiritual perspective. If you die when you're young and you're not going to be saved, you're better off because your punishment in eternity will be less than if you live your full life and you get the full 10 years. You see the parallel there? The example there? And perhaps God is being graceful and mercy, full of mercy, and not allowing these babies to grow up and reap wrath upon wrath. The Bible says they're reaping wrath against the day of wrath. He was being merciful. Now also, well, we don't know, we don't know the mind of God. His ways are so far above our ways. But, you know, these little kids, these 11-year-old kids, they come up with some pretty interesting things to discuss, you know. Um, and that's always one of the questions. Well, what happened to the babies? You know, I, I don't know. What happened to the babies? They died, but what happened to their souls? Psalms 78, 40, and 41 says, How oft did they provoke him in the wilderness and grieve him in the desert? Yea, they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. This example that God gave us, of he, he wiped out the entire population. In fact, everything that breathed air during the flood. Well, what happened to all of the Israelites? Remember when they sent the 12 spies into the promised land and 10 came back and said, we can't defeat the giants? There were giants again. They were afraid to fight the giants, except for Caleb and uh, Joshua. They were the only two people above 20 years old that were allowed to go into the promised land. Not even Moses and Aaron went into the promised land. Everybody, and there were millions of Israelites that came, out of, that came out of Egypt. Everybody above the age of 20, it says their carcasses fell in the wilderness. Their carcasses fell. They had hundreds of funerals every week. Their carcasses fell in the wilderness. So there's another picture of God's wrath against sin. What's going to happen during, during the tribulation period? That's a picture of God just letting his wrath loose. During the tribulation period. 
first a quarter. Let's assume there's there's six billion people on the earth. I think there's seven, but let's six is an even number. First a quarter will die. That means there's four and a half million left. Then a third will die. That means there's only a half, three million left. And that doesn't even count the wars and the plagues and all of the, and the rapture. The people who, if the rapture is a pre-trib, they'll be gone. The earth's population is going to be decimated. And this picture of the flood and the picture of the Israelites' carcasses falling in the wilderness, those are pictures and warnings to us for the unbelievers to be saved. They need to be saved or their carcasses will fall like that, that picture. Revelation 16.9 says, And the men were scorched with great heat and blasphemed the name of God, which had power over these plagues, and they repented not to give him glory. Even in the face of God, they blaspheme him. Even when judgment is rolling out, they blaspheme God. Genesis 6.7, And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repented me that I have made them. You know, this camp over here where the sons of gods are the demons, they're saying, why did, they're raising the question, why did God kill the animals? He could have just had some plague, some, the bubonic plague that wiped out all the people, right? Why did he kill the animals? Because they feel that even the animals were being defiled in the, in the, in the idolatry and the blasphemy <laughs> against God. And by them being defiled, God wanted to wipe them also off and start over. Jeremiah 44, 22 says, So that the Lord could no longer bear, because of the evil of your doings and because of the abominations which you have committed, therefore is your land a desolation and an astonishment and a curse without an inhabitant as of that day. Again, that's a prophecy to the Israelites, but it's a picture of God's wrath. He will make it a desolation. And in the lake of fire, it's desolate. It's a desolation. There is nothing good in the lake of fire. Zephaniah 1.3 continues this. I will consume man and beast. I will consume the fowls of the heaven and the fishes of the sea and the stumbling blocks of the wicked. I will cut off man from off the land, saith the Lord. God is long-suffering. He gave Noah 120 years to preach. But there's a time of reckoning. You know, one of the old-time preachers, I think it was um, either Billy Sunday or maybe it was um, Bob Jones, he would say, payday is coming. Payday is coming. And what, what wages have you reaped at the day of judgment? The wages of sin is wrath. The wages of sin is death. But God also has the gift of eternal life and the beam of seed judgment and the rewards. What are your wages going to be on the payday? Okay, the second point here. God's purpose for the flood was not extermination but regeneration. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Oh, what, a, what a refreshing verse. In all of this wicked and vileness and, and degradation and blasphemy of God, it says, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Romans 9, 7, 18 says, For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, Even for this purpose have I raised you up, that I might show my power unto you, that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will... He hardened it. So God chooses who he wills to be saved and who he will harden. Remember last week we studied about the vessels that are set aside meet for destruction. They're numbered for that purpose. They're ordained for that purpose. Ephesians 1.7 says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, probably one of our most memorized verses. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, and not of works, lest any man should boast. Genesis 6, 9 says, These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man. Just means he's 
justified, just as if he never sinned. He's made righteous through the blood of Christ. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. Do you walk with God today? When you walk with somebody, you fellowship with, you're spending time with them. Did you walk with God today? Noah walked with God. Job 1.1 says, There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright, one that feared God and eschewed evil. He was perfect in God's sight, not that he didn't sin, but that he was justified through the blood of Christ. And that made him perfect in God's sight. And look at it, it says he feared God. And he eschewed, that means he hated evil. He put it away from him. He turned away, he eschewed evil. Hebrews eleven seven. by faith Noah, being warned of things not seen as yet. You know, they didn't have floods, they didn't have rainstorms. Being warned of things not seen as yet, moved with fear. Noah had a godly fear. We need to have a godly fear. Prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world. Noah condemned the world by his righteousness and became heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. You know, when all the people were destroyed, heir, he was the heir of the righteousness. He was the only one left. It's like if a rich man died and he had one son and he gives all the blessings to that one son, Noah was that one son. He became heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. Genesis 6.10, And Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And Genesis 5.32 tells us Noah was 500 years old, and Noah begat Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, that doesn't tell us if they were triplets, or, like somebody will say, well, Jim, when did you start your family? Well, I started my family, like, when I was around 27 or 20, 30 or whatever, right? You give a number. Well, God tells us he was 500 years old. Now, we also know the flood came when he was 600 years old. So there was 100 years when these sons were growing up. Jonathan, do you think Noah said, Ham, Shem, and Japheth, come on out and help me build the ark? Probably. And they were like teenagers. So they had a lot of energy. And you think about how long, they, they were doing studies on the size of the ark, we're going to get into that, but it's, the, you know how big a train car is? It's the equivalent of 530 train cars. And yeah, the, the, it's amazing how much capacity this ark had. Genesis 6, 11, the, the earth was also corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. You know, one of the things that God hates is violence. And in our society, we are permeated in violence. Look at football. Football, the draw to football, one of the things is how hard guys can hit each other. Boxing is the biggest money sport in the world. It's because people want to see people get hurt, knocked out. And it permeates into the video games. And that permeates into our society. You know, it isn't guns that kill. It's people that use the gun to kill. Because you can kill somebody with a knife. You can kill somebody in many ways. But the violence comes out of the heart. And our society is becoming more and more and more violent. And that's also a sign of the end times. Psalms 11.5 says, The Lord tries the righteous, but the wicked, and him that loves violence, his soul hates. God's soul hates. You know, God has a soul. When Jesus died on the cross, his body was in the grave for three days and three nights. His soul went to paradise. Remember he said to the thief on the cross, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. God's soul went to paradise. God has a soul. Here this verse says, His soul hates those that love violence. Those people that love violence, the gang leaders... The gangbangers, as they call them. Bang, bang, you're dead. God hates those people. Now, they can be saved, and then he loves them. But he, but the wicked and him that loves violence, God's soul hates. 
And you know, we say, put a little soul into it, right? I mean, give it a little bit of effort. God's soul hates the violent. He hates their actions. He's putting his efforts into that. Matthew 7, 18. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Those evil people that are violent, they cannot bring forth good fruit. And that's also why God wiped out all of them. With the Israelites in the, in the desert for 40 years, at least he allowed the children under 20 to go into the promised land. Here he's saying that corrupt fruit cannot bear good fruit. A good tree cannot bring evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring good forth good fruit. And that's why God wiped out even the children. They could not bring forth good fruit. Genesis 6, 12. And the Lord looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. Everything that God looked upon, it was corrupt. It was evil. It was wicked. It had to be dealt with. Psalm 14, 2. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there was any way that did understand and seek God. He looked down. God is always giving the lost chances to be saved. Remember last week when we talked about Cain and Abel? God came to him and said, Why is your face down, down your countenance fallen? Why are you angry? And then later, after, he, after Cain killed Abel, God came to him and said, where is, where is Abel? He was looking for Cain to confess. And Cain says, I know not. I don't know where he is. He lied. He compounded his sin with more sin. And then he said, you know, in mockery, am I my brother's keeper? And that's the way, it's like snow starts, did you ever make snowmen and you start with a little snowball and then you roll it and you roll it and it gets bigger and bigger and pretty soon when you want to put the middle one on, you got to sometimes make it smaller because you can't lift it. It's so heavy. That's, that's the way sin is. It, it starts out as a little ball, and as it just rolls through your life, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And pretty soon you can't control it. You, can, you can't lift it. You can't move it. You can't get it out. It's too big. And, and God has to deal with that. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. That's one of the keys to us fighting sin in our life. Fear of God, that gives us wisdom. You can't have wisdom, true wisdom. You can be a smart guy and be a PhD five times and memorize all of these formulas and math and science and everything and not have godly wisdom because that comes from the fear of the Lord. And it says once the knowledge of the holy is understanding. The holy is the word of God. It's the Bible. Knowledge of the holy Study the word every day because that will give you understanding into God. That will increase your faith. And through your faith is how you can understand God better. Genesis 6, 13. God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh has come upon me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. God was going to use the earth to destroy men. He could have done anything. He could have just had all their hearts stop beating at one time. God can do whatever he wants. But he was going to use the earth. Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and 14 says, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. Fear God and keep his commandments. That's your duty. That's your job. If you want to get your paycheck, you have to do your job at work, yes? God says your duty, fear God and keep his commandments. For God shall bring every work into judgment and every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. God knew all of the secret things that those people were doing at the time of Noah, and it was wicked. Psalm 54 and 5 says, He shall call to the heavens from above and to the earth, that he may judge his people. Gather my saints together unto me, those that have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. So God is going to use the earth 
and the heavens to judge. He will also do that in the end times. There are going to be many catastrophes on the earth. The great earthquakes. The moon and the stars are going to change. There will be many things that are going on that will be caused from God using the earth. But look at he says, gather my saints. The saints are the ones who are saved, the Christians, the ones going to heaven. He says, those that made a covenant with me by sacrifice. You know, in the times of Israel, times of David, in the times of the high priests, they would do sacrifices of animals. But do you know we have a sacrifice for God? Present your bodies a living sacrifice, right? Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind to prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And we are to do that with our bodies, a living sacrifice unto God. We serve God here. That's our purpose. We're in the kingdom to serve God. And our life can be poured out to God as a sacrifice. And he will accept that every time. Genesis 6, 14. Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Room shalt thou make in the ark, and shall pitch it within and without. Job 22, 16 and 17 says, Which were cut down out of time, whose foundation was overflown with a flood. This is Job talking about it. Which said unto God, Depart from us. And what can the Almighty do for them? They said to God, Depart from us. You know, God's grace that brings salvation has appeared to all men. But sometimes we have people that appear to us that we don't want to. We don't want to see them. Maybe it's a bill collector. We don't want to see a bill collector. Get away. These people didn't want to see the Holy Spirit in their life. They said, God, get away. That's not good. It's not going to end well for them. Genesis 6.15 And this is the fashion which thou hast made of. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, the breadth 50 cubits, and the height 30 cubits. So that's 450 feet long. 400 and, that's four and a half, no, that's one and a half football fields. If you ever were running down a football field. It's 50 cubits wide, that's 75 feet. I don't have a rule measure, but that's probably like from here to the front door. And it was 30 cubits high. That's 45 feet high. That's four and a half stories high. That's a, that's a huge boat. And by the way, these dimensions, if you look for the ideal barge to carry weight across the ocean, those barges are roughly in these, these dimensions. Psalm 104, 5 and 6, Who laid the foundations of the earth that it should not be removed forever? Thou coverest it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. So here in Psalm, it's saying the waters stood above the mountains. Now we know from Genesis that the flood was above the mountains, but also the water, the mists, were above. The mist was entirely surrounding the earth before the great deluge and before the rainstorms hit. Genesis 6.16 A window shall thou make in the ark, and in a cubit thou shalt finish it above. So this verse, in, in reading the commentaries, they don't think a window is translated in kind of like not good. It was more of like the entire barge, this entire boat, ark, had a, a roof on it, and they had a cubit, an 18-inch gap that would let the air in. You know, like on a hot day, you open the windows, right? God prepared this ark to have a window but the roof would allow the rain not to go in. God had prepared this exactly the way Noah should have it to survive. And he said, pitch it without an end. Pitch means to cover it with a, a, a substance that would seal all the cracks. But look, he goes on and say, And the door of the ark shall thou set in the side thereof with the lower second and third stories. So it had one door. One door. And remember, the ark is a picture of heaven. How many doors are there into heaven? There's one. All of these religions don't take you to heaven. Only faith in Christ. And let's look at that. John 14, 6 says, Jesus saith unto me, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father 
No man goes into heaven but by me, through Jesus Christ. He is the only door into heaven. Luke 13.25 says, and this is Jesus speaking, when once the master of the house has risen up, once the flood starts, and has shut the door, the door was shut on the ark for seven days before it rained, and you begin to stand without and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us. You, don't you think those people were knocking on the ark, saying to Noah, let us in, let us in? And he shall answer and say unto you, I know not whence you are. I don't know who you are. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Genesis 16, 7, or 6, 17. And behold, I, even I, do bring the floods of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, wherein is the breath of life from under heaven, and everything that is in the earth shall die. That is judgment. Every living creature not that breathed air that was not in the ark died. Every living creature. Job 12.15 says, Behold, he withholdeth the waters, and they dry up. Also he sendeth them out, and they overturn the earth. It's God who sent out the waters. Psalm 29.10, The Lord sits upon the flood. He was totally in control. Yea, the Lord sitteth king forever. There is only one king. Jesus is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And he has total dominion. We talked about this two weeks ago. God is in total control of everything that happens. Even storms and calamities and earthquakes and tsunamis. God's in total control. Genesis 6.18, the last verse we'll look at today in this series. But with thee will I establish my covenant and shall come into the ark, thou and thy sons and thy wife and thy sons with thee. So God did make a covenant with Noah. And you, you, you wonder, well, what was the covenant? Genesis 9.11 says what it is. I will establish my covenant with you Neither shall all flesh be cut off any more by waters of a flood. Neither shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. So God's covenant with Noah was he would never again destroy all of, all of the earth with a flood. And do you remember what the sign of the promise was? The rainbow. Yes, the sign of the rainbow. Isaiah, let's look at this one here, Isaiah 57, 15 and 16. For thus saith the high and lofty one, that's God, that inhabits eternity, that's God, whose name is holy, that's Jesus, I dwell in high and holy places with him also that is of a contrite and a humble spirit. That's us, that's us Christians. To revive the spirit of the humble, to revive the heart of the contrite ones. For I will not contend forever, neither will I always be wroth. You know, God is angry with the sinner, with the wicked every day. That's what the Bible says. God is angry with the wicked every day. You wake up in the morning and if you're wicked, he's angry at you. You go to lunch and you're one of the wicked, not saved, he's angry with you. You get ready to go to bed, you turn out the light and you're not saved, he's angry with you but not with the saved. He says, For I will not contend forever, neither will I always be wroth, angry. For the spirit shall fail before me and the souls which I have made. What that means is the spirits will fail before me. That spirit of wickedness, that spirit of antichrist, will not last forever. It will fail before God. And then Revelation 21 and 22, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth coming down from heaven, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. That's our promise. And then the last verse for today, this is our closing thought. Romans 6, 23. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And... I don't know your spiritual condition, nor do you know mine. But if you're not saved, this is a free gift. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to pay for it. It's free. There's no strings attached. 
And if you're not saved, you can be saved. Call upon, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And certainly we have people in our families that are not saved. Remember last Sunday I said we should all pray about opportunities to witness? I had some guys come to my house this week to do some brickwork. And they worked, uh, I guess it was four days. And they had four different guys there. There's four guys on the crew. And one day they were all working. And um, I noticed one of the guys on the truck, he had a sticker that said, Not I, but Christ. So on Friday when I had to pay them, and earlier in the day I was talking to Christian on Skype and we were praying. And I said, will you pray that these guys, that I can connect with them? So... When I paid the, the guy who owns the company, I said, hey, David, I saw your sticker on your truck. Are you a Christian? He goes, yeah. And I said, um, let me just run something by you. Would you guys be interested in a Bible study? And he said, absolutely. We used to have one that we met at McDonald's at 5 in the morning, but for whatever reason, nobody could make it. So he was looking for a new Bible class. So God opens the doors. If you have people that are you're burdened for to see saved, bring it to God. That's, that's a prayer he's going to answer. He, he died for the lost. Just bring it to God in prayer. So let's pray today. Lord, we thank you for this lesson. It's, it's, um, it's a very heavy lesson, and, and it, it, when we think about it, all the destruction, the total earth was, was wiped out. But Lord, you did it to regenerate man, to get rid of that sin that was there. And to let them start over. Man is still fallen. We're still under the curse of Adam. But Lord, we did have a new start there. And for anybody who's born again, they have a brand new start in you, Lord. And Jesus, I, I pray that if anybody is not saved here, that today would be their day of salvation. That today would be the day they call upon you to be their Lord and Savior. And Jesus, just bless our day today. Bless the senior saints that are in the room with good health this week. And Lord, we just love you. Thank you for dying on the cross. And let your Holy Spirit be mighty in our lives. Amen.